All right, guys, very welcome to the Ravit Show and good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone, whoever are joining from different parts of the world. Uh, today, I'm very happy because I have David P. Mariani as my guest on the Ravit Show. Uh, David is the CTO and founder at, uh, at Scale. Prior to at Scale, he was the VP of engineering at Cloud and at Yahoo, where he built the world's largest multi-dimensional cube uh, for BI on Hadoop. He was also the CTO and founder at Mindshare. He, was, uh, he has over two decades of experience as a CTO delivering big data, consumer internet, internet advertising, and hosted service platforms, uh, creating nearly... $800 million in company exits. Uh, David is a big data visionary and serial entrepreneur. Today, we will discuss about his journey, semantic layer, convergence of AI and BI analytics, and much more. I can't wait to hear more from David because semantic layer is something that we've been hearing a lot, but David is here to let us know and give more information about it. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. Also, uh, what we have a good news for the audience today is uh, AdScale has been kind to us and they have offered uh, a swag that they will be uh, giving to a winner by end of the show. So what you need to do is just mention hashtag AdScale and uh, you get into the raffle. And by end of the show, we'll be announcing the winners. I already see Bilal, who's here, and hashtag at scale is here. Wow, Kate is here. Hey, Kate. Thanks for joining. Robin is here. Thank you very much. For everyone joining in, please feel free to mention at scale, hashtag at scale, and you'll enter the raffle. Let's uh, have our guest. Hey, David. Welcome to the Robert Show. How are you? Hi, Robert. Nice, nice to see you again. Oh, fantastic. David, I was just letting folks know about our agenda for today, about what we'll be discussing, about your journey, and uh, obviously about semantic layers. So why not start with your introduction for our audience? Oh, yeah, well, th hey, thanks for having me, Ravit, on the show. So uh, so I'm Dave Mariani. I'm the CTO um, and co-founder of AtScale. And, um, and so I've been involved in uh, data and big data for quite some time now um, and had the pleasure of working with some great people at AdScale to, to really take a, an idea like a semantic layer and uh, make it real for our customers. This is amazing. And, you know, just for our audience, obviously, Dave, uh, people hear a lot around semantic layer and everyone have a different uh, opinion around it, but mm -hmm. uh, would love to hear what are the practical, first thing, what is semantic layer for our audience? Yeah. Yeah, you know, semantic layer has been or actually been around for a long time. Um, yeah. If you remember, I mean, I'm dating myself, but business objects sort of created that whole concept of a semantic layer with what they called the uh, the business objects universe. And and what was really sort of um, um, important at the time was that it was a logical layer. It was a business friendly layer. So rather than speaking in tables and columns and and, and bits and bytes, um, it, it was a it was a it was a business friendly syntax with things like um, like uh, gross margin and uh, and sales and um, and month um, and product. So uh, real sort of business friendly terms uh, to describe the business um, and to translate that the the physical data into a logical layer. So that was that was sort of the birth of the semantic layer, and that's what mm. made 
OLAP platforms so popular um, and so powerful. You had the speed of OLAP, but you also had that user, that business-friendly interface. But up until very recently, uh, up until really when you know we, we, we started the company in 2013, the semantic layer has always been coupled with consumption. So yes, MicroStrategy has a semantic layer. Yes, um, Cognos has a semantic layer. Even Tableau has a semantic layer in each right. individual workbook. So our innovation, uh, Ravit, was to take the semantic layer and make it an independent, independent of consumption, as mm. well as independent of data storage. So it's a layer that sits in between, which means that it's, uh, it is truly universal, uh, right. which means you can plug and play. And whether you're using Tableau or Power BI or even Excel, um, everybody's speaking the same language and getting access to that same business-friendly interface. Um, mm -hmm. So we've, we were the first to really decouple the semantic exactly. layer and create a universal semantic layer. So that's really our innovation. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And uh, to, where did the actual idea come from? So back in 2013 when you started, was it the first time when you got into the semantic layer or was it initially a little different and then you got into the weeds more? Yeah, you know, it's like um, um, I've always, I've had this idea for a long time, but in terms of uh, putting it into practice was tough. Uh, yeah. And I, I think the kick in the pants really came um, when for my at my tenure um, at Yahoo. And so Yahoo mm. was the first sort of company where um, I've always been a startup guy, and um, <clears throat> we sold uh, Blue Lithium, which was an ad network, into Yahoo. So all of a sudden, I'm working at a, a very large organization, mm -hmm. um, and they put me in charge of analytics for that large organization, which meant that I had to deliver data to the business. Exactly. And um, it was a very complex environment, Ravit. So uh, we had MicroStrategy, we had Tableau, we had uh, ClickView. Uh, we had Excel and we had custom applications. Um, we had, I had Yahoo Labs, who was always give me data, give me data. 2,500 yeah. data scientists at a time oh, in 2010 when data science was still something um, very unfamiliar to, to people. So everybody needed data, but they all needed data to be able to put into their own tooling and create their own mm -hmm. semantic layers. And at the end of the day, um, when Jerry Yang, our CEO, asked, you know, how many page views did we serve yesterday? <laughs> um, everybody had a different answer. And it was a, and, and, and you think about a page view, that's not a complicated metric at all, is it? Although mm. it is when you consider, is it was it a unique page view? Was it was it a total uh, sum of page views? What over what time period? When's the last time the data was refreshed? What was the cutoff? Mm. And so. I struggled with uh, really data quality and creating a single source of truth. I just couldn't do it, um, even though because uh, I lost control of that data once I handed it over to each of these business groups and they imported it into their own tools. So mm -hmm. I really wanted a semantic layer, uh, a data API, data as a service where I could produce a data set and then let let my users consume it as they saw fit. but all with you know playing by the same rules so i call it um self-service with guardrails so wow. uh, you know i don't want to i don't want to do i don't want to do reporting that's like i don't know the business the way that right. they know the business they're the subject matter experts so give them the data they need um but give it to them with uh quality 
and mm. with consistency, regardless of how they choose to consume it, including the data scientists. If they're building models, they should be get access to the same semantic layer in the same business terms under the same conditions as their next door neighbor who's trying to build a dashboard or their application developer who is trying to build an application that is based on data. Oh, these are super cool insights. They have actually, you know, hearing that where there are like 2,500 uh, data scientists sitting in 2010, it is kind of, and those were the early days. And, uh, you know, maybe you've identified it at the right time and uh, it does make a lot of sense. So uh, moving forward, let's uh, take a few questions coming in from the audience. So these are questions. Okay, Kate has a question, very interesting one. Why is it important to make the semantic layer independent of consumption? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Kate. Um, uh, it's uh, if the semantic layer is tied to the consumption layer, it means that you don't have a single universal semantic layer. So, mm. uh, so let me give you know, give you an example of um, even even within Tableau. Tableau, you know, has users will model data and they'll still connect physically to the data directly to the data to the data schemas and then they'll model that data. So even within Tableau, somebody may create a dashboard for gross margin and that calculation for gross margin for that dashboard may be very different than the person in the next desk over who is creating their own dashboard using Tableau. So right within Tableau, if you do calculations, you do modeling within the consumption layer, you're bound to get differences. Um, so, and then if you have a, a microstrategy, which has a semantic layer, and then you have Tableau, which has a semantic layer, and you have Power BI, which has a semantic layer, you can right. guarantee that each of those different groups are going to have a different um, definition of gross margin, for example. Um, and so with that's why the semantic layer really needs to be independent, because if it's not, you know, you're just back to the beginning of chaos um, and inconsistency right. and people fighting over the numbers because everybody mm -hmm. has defined their own version of reality. Right. I, I'm sure this definitely answers for Kate and great explanation there, Dave. Thanks for that. Um, okay, picking another question from the audience. How would you explain semantic layer to a layman? No. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a that's that's a great question because um, you know we've been talking about and I've been talking about semantic layers since 2013, and exactly. it's been eight, it's eight years later now, and now everybody's talking about semantic layers. So oh, it no. took a long time to sort of get that that point across. Um, the way I would explain a semantic layer is. Um, um, is uh, the semantic layer serves as a business-friendly interface to your, to your data. Hmm. So it allows everyone in an organization to, to make data-driven decisions. And what I mean by everyone is, you know, it's, it's not just about the data scientist or the data engineer or the, uh, the analytics Jedi. You know, that's sort of the realm of who gets to use analytics today. And really to be successful and to get the most out of the data that you collect, um, you need to make sure that it's usable by everyone. And that means somebody who's okay. using an Excel spreadsheet should be able to get access to that same data and understand that uh, and ask a question of, you know, what was my gross margin by product uh, for last year compared hmm. to last compared to the previous year? So, you know, it's a very simple way of asking a question, but but we make our we make users jump through such hoops 
that make them rely on other people to answer that question for them, even though mm. they're the subject matter expert. Um, and so uh, for I, I would say a semantic layer makes data uh, uh, consumable for everyone in your organization, not just the data experts. Well, great uh, explanation. Thanks for that question, Aditi. Okay, uh, uh, Dave, obviously uh, it's been there, there for a while, like you mentioned, and uh, I know for a fact where you have, uh, you know, obviously introduced it back in 2013. So what has changed from back then to now in 2021? What's the difference? Well, you know, back back in 2013 when we started the company, I, you know, I was at I was at, I was at um, Yahoo, like I mentioned, yeah. and we invented Hadoop. So, uh, so I saw Hadoop as a real game changer because we, mm. we, we went beyond we burst beyond the the single node uh, data warehouse. Um, and yes, you know, you had Oracle who had Oracle Rack, which is sort of like a cluster system, but not very mm. not very elegant, right? And we moved to this sort of shared nothing um, architecture of a cluster where you could have commodity hardware and lay yeah. out your data and it got spread across that whole cluster. And so I really thought that that was a game changer in terms of uh, really being able to address the problem of big data, of which, you know, Yahoo was big data in 2000, in 2010. There weren't right. many other big data shops. And so, uh, so the semantic layer first uh, was tied to Hadoop as a as a okay. uh, as a data platform, and so we started out selling at scale as a semantic layer for Hadoop. But what we found out, uh, Robin, is that uh, Hadoop was really hard for our customers to operate. Mm -hmm. So, since the semantic layer is talking to Hadoop, um, you know our our success was really tied to our customers' success in managing their Hadoop infrastructure. And, and honestly, it's like enterprise companies are not in the business to manage data, data clusters. They're in the, you know, Home Depot is in the, you know, in the business to, 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 to sell goods through their, uh, through their stores. Um, and uh, Tyson Foods is in the business of, 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 of producing um, 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 products for people to eat and, and, and to expect that they would be able to have the expertise to, be able to manage Hadoop is this kind of a it's kind of absurd now that I look at it. So mm -hmm. what really happened in the big the big uh, um, uh, pivot really was um, as Hadoop got more difficult and sort of that uh, uh, it's it, it's the the the, um, uh, the goal of Hadoop didn't really measure up to reality. Um, mm -hmm. The vision of Hadoop didn't measure up to to reality. We started to see the birth of the cloud data warehouse. Um, right. It started with Google BigQuery, and then Snowflake came on the scene. Um, and really, uh, Amazon Redshift was the sort of first pioneering solution there. And so, uh, so the big change is that we didn't change the platform at all. We didn't change the concept of the semantic layer. Mm -hmm. But what we did is we expanded it to more data platforms, including traditional data platforms like Oracle, SQL Server, and Teradata. But more importantly, the cloud data platforms like the Google BigQuery's, the Amazon Redshifts, the Snowflakes, um, and the data and Databricks, um, and that really that really um, launched things for us because we were able to ride that ride that wave as enterprises abandoned their on-premise data infrastructure and they modernized in the cloud. And when they modernized in the cloud, they took a step back and they said what can we what should we do differently this time 
And uh, the semantic layer became a, uh, an obvious difference because they saw the cost of tightly coupling consumption to a particular data platform. And that tight coupling meant that they, they didn't have really, everything was retooling. If they ever had to use another data platform, everything mm. downstream broke. And so our message of create a firewall between your data platforms and your consumption layer so that you have the freedom to choose the best data platform for the job now and in right. the future and the and the best way to consume or the way people want to consume and exactly. you plug and play and that was a, a that was a um that was a message that really resonated with uh with with enterprises wow i think that's like the you know the best story i've heard at least uh, how things have modernized now okay dave uh, i know there are a lot of questions uh, but uh, let's take a few questions from the audience uh, which are more on the modernized side uh, p karthik has a question here what's the advantage of having a semantic layer in reporting or data visualization tools yeah it's 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 to me it's about ease of use um, so you know when you think about you know look i love tableau and i adopted tableau way back in the day when um, the VP of sales actually sold me. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and uh, so, and I was, I'm a big believer of, of Tableau, but look, I'm a, I'm a developer. I write code right. and I understand, uh, I understand databases really well because I've worked exactly. in, in them for, 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 you know, decades. Um, and so I'm, I'm able to get what I needed to get out of Tableau by having to model the data in Tableau before I could do the dashboard. So for, for people who are, who are using data visualization tools and reporting tools, what a semantic layer does is it the modeling is already done and it's done by somebody who understands uh, the physical layout of the data. And so mm -hmm. the, the person using the visualization tool can, can deal with simple business terms, um, you know, like time, uh, like product, like uh, region, um, uh, like, um, uh, you know, like gross margin, like uh, yeah. sales. And uh, rather than worrying about how to connect table A to table B um, and then aggregate it um, and then get the right answer um, and then join it to your customer table, which may be, you know, in a, a 10, 10 million rows um, and then <laughs> somehow make it all work um, in their lifetime. Uh, and so we just simplify the semantic layer simplifies. That's that's mm -hmm. as much as I could say. And it, it puts it it, it, it aligns. Um, the best people for the job. So the best people to create the semantic layer are those who understand the physical data. The best people to leverage and use the semantic layer are the subject matter experts who will know right. the business and know what, what questions that they need to ask to improve the business and improve customer experience. All right. This uh, definitely answers for P. Karthik. Thanks for that question. Also, uh, on the side where we can talk about little about the company adoption, Kate had a question where she's asking, what advice do you have for successful semantic layer adoption within a company? Yeah, you know, look, it's it, and it depends on, you know, the size of the company. Um, mm. You know, we deal with a lot of uh, very complex enterprises, so there's a lot of legacy there. Um, and I think that the best approach is the, you know, it's crawl, walk, run. Um, I think mm. the first thing to do is, is to, is to identify a use case where there's a lot of pain. Uh, and the pain usually is involving uh, a lot of steps and getting and rendering some kind of, kind of analysis. And that those steps usually require a bunch of data copies and, and data extracts and, and the like. And so it's very difficult 
it, once you have some analysis or you have some dashboards created, just getting the data refreshed. And so I like to say, let's start with using the semantic layer to solve a real a real problem so we can we can prove success. And then what we do is we can fan out from there um, and drive that semantic layer uh, to, to for more use cases to deliver more value. But first get that win um, and don't try to boil the ocean. You right. know, go, go where the pain is, solve that pain <laughs> and then prove it. And then you will get adoption and you can drive the adoption from there. Gotcha. This, this is definitely very insightful. Let's uh, also welcome a few people who are joining in. Hey, Suzanne, thanks for joining. Dustin is here, and Dustin uh, does agree with one of your point, in my opinion, from my and from my experience, an important insight from Dave that might be glossed or not. He said the VP sold <laughs> sales sold me on Tableau. So adoption in a business and new technology in is orders of magnitude easier when you have a key business stakeholder and a technology expert like Dave working together to make it happen. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, Dustin, you, you're you're exactly right. You know, it's a uh, um, you can't you can't have success without you know. It's always been a war on IT, and IT has always had a war on the the the, the business user because the, the IT is always like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing, and mm. they're asking me for new data all the time, and then <laughs> business and and the business is like, you're locking away, you're keeping me from my data, give it to me faster. And, 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 you know, in my experience, those teams need to work together and, right. and have a shared and, and have a shared goal. Um, and the goal is to make the business better. Um, and so if you get, if you allow people to do what they do best and work as a team, make, allow it to create that data as a service. That's what they want to do. Um, they don't want to do reporting. They don't understand right. what gross margin is. Um, but the business does. So um, working together in a semantic layer is a great communication layer. It's a great way mm -hmm. to communicate um, between IT and the business and make it so it's not adversarial, but, you know, but, but it's, it's working together. Wow. Yeah, makes sense, uh, Dave. Also, uh, I want to actually combine a, my question to another question which is asked in the audience. Dr. Kinvasara is asking, why do you think, what, is, what do you think is the best approach to get into analytics? And uh, my question would be, do you think analytics is just for data engineers? Yeah, um, look, it's the, it, yeah, the, the, our vision is that, um, and, we're, and we're, you know, look, our, it's our vision and, and, our, and we're helping our customers get there, but there's a long ways to go into making everybody um, a data-driven um, uh, decision maker. Uh, right. and, and it's largely because um, we make it so hard for, for the, the, the person who is, who is managing inventory or the person who is, uh, who, is, who is managing customer service to get access to data. Um, and so, um, look, I, how, do, how did I get into analytics? Um, I got into analytics because, um, you know, it, it was I was trying to solve, answer a question um, for the business. And right. it forced me to uh, have to go and learn where the data was to get an, an answer to that question. Um, and and then what the process was to ask the question. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that um, you can get into analytics by uh, by by working in the business and being a subject matter expert. Um, and I think. And I think I've said this before, it's much easier for a subject matter expert, a business user to learn data than mm. it is somebody in data to learn the business. And so I would say start in the business and learn how and, and learn about analytics and how it's all is put together. 
Um, and that's a good way because you'll have value as a business user, just like your last user said. It's like combining business knowledge with a little bit of technical knowledge is a powerful combination. Um, and that's something that that's something I did for my whole career. Um, I graduated from UCLA as an economics major. I had absolutely wow. zero tech, technology <laughs> background. Um, and my first job was a consulting job. And they said, you know, I heard that you like to write code as your hobby. So can you go and write this for our customer? Cool. Um, and I was like, what? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, but it's always is great to come from the business side um, mm. and then be able to acquire some technical skills um, to make you a, uh, to make you a better decision maker. Wow, this is great. And uh, I agree 100% in terms of being the problem solver for the business. And uh, you get there, you you can do different things. And coming from an economics background and coding now is uh, fantastic. Dave, thanks for sharing that experience. Okay, uh, Dave, I have another question for you, which is more on the lines uh, of tools. So which would be, which according to you, like what according to you are the best tools for data analysts? Well, that's it. So th that's a that's a great question. And I have to be careful because we're sort of the Switzerland of data <laughs> platforms and BI tools. Yeah. Um, but um, I could say like I'm um, from a data platform. Let's start with the data platform side, the cloud data yeah. platform. Um, uh, there's there's good ones out there. Um, mm -hmm. um, I really like Snowflake a lot. And the reason why I like Snowflake is that um, they really they took the concept of separating compute and storage and really did it so mm -hmm. you know the ultimate the the, the the problem with hadoop was that compute and storage was stored on the same on the same node and while that was seemed like a great idea from the ability to fan out the ability to scale because you just add more computers and now you have more space as well right the problem with that is that it's very rigid so if i need to grow and expand my 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 um my compute power it meant adding more hardware and then also taking that data and now redistributing that data to that new hardware. So hmm. it wasn't easy to do. What Snowflake did is they said, all our data is going to sit on S3 and that we're going to bring compute, um, T-shirt size compute clusters, small, medium, wow. large, extra large to operate on that data. And that means that customers and you can have multiple compute clusters operating on the same data. So hmm. finance may get a, um, a, a large cluster because they're closing the books while marketing gets a small cluster um, during the month because they're just doing their ordinary work. And, by, and they're all operating on the same physical data, but they have different hmm. compute profiles. And that's really powerful. Besides the fact it's a really fast uh, data, data platform. So I like that a lot. Um, on, the, on, the, hmm. on the data, on the BI front, the visualization front, I've always been a, a fan of Tableau, as you know, as I said, um, yeah. and it continues to be a great tool. It's, it's great to see people just be able to open up Tableau and get connect to some data, especially with a semantic layer, um, mm. and and instantly be productive. Uh, that's the, the the power of that tool. I think Power BI is uh, really coming on, um, and we see Power BI everywhere now in our customer base and our new prospects. And Power BI has taken the Tableau concept and they've uh, basically made it free, uh, which means now everybody can be a power user and create really beautiful visualizations um, exactly. where, you know, where in the Tableau world, you know, it, it was uh, it's it costs money 
And so, uh, so you had to be worthy to get access to those tools. So I like, I like both of those tools uh, for those different reasons. Um, one is more ubiquitous and, and free and everybody can get access to it. The other is, is just super powerful and user-friendly at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Those are amazing insights. Thank Dave. Uh, Dustin here agrees with you having spent most of my time in the business, but also holding roles from analyst to analytics director. I definitely support Dave's advice on the value of business knowledge tech having a one, one plus one is equal to three effect in value added. 100%. Yeah, Dustin. So uh, on the product side, it also really helps. Like, so, you know, I, mm. after my, my, in my first job, that consulting firm turned into a, a software company. Um, it was, <laughs> it, and, and so I got to be able to go through that transition. And um, as a, you know, when you're building products, being able to talk and understand the customer and have empathy for the customer, because you were one, um, exactly. is, is a really powerful asset when you also can put that together with uh with how you deliver software and how you would deliver a, a technical solution mm -hmm. um and so i always encourage people that i talk to is that work in the business even if you're a technologist don't you know don't don't look at it as like oh those people over there and i'm gonna it's use your own product you you know and and try to do a real job with your product i force myself to do that all the time because you know, you see just where the rough edges are and where people are going to get frustrated when you have to do a real job with your own product. Exactly. Um, and for, for me, I always did that with, um, you know, whatever opportunity I could find, um, you know, monitoring was always a good one. Use my product to uh, do analytics on our operations. Um, and, uh, and so it's a real use case that delivers real value that forces you to use your own product. So every engineer out there, every technologist, um, please, please uh, find a way and find a use case where you can use your own product yourself uh, to do the job. And it will make you a much, much, much better engineer um, and a much better product person. Fantastic. Since, uh, Dave, you are sharing about your journey, I would love to take this question from Manisha, which is interesting. What is one of the most challenging projects you've come across in the years in the field of analytics? Any learnings? Um, yeah, well, you look, I, I think that, um, making, making a semantic layer work has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and, and the reason why it was hard is that for semantic layer to be truly universal, it needs to connect to every data platform that people want and, and, and then the tools and the consumption tools need to connect to it. And you have to service the business users, the data scientists and the application developers. And mm -hmm. so what happens is that when you have that matrix of having to plug everything in that speaks different languages to have different dialects and then talk to these different platforms, which could be data lakes as well as data warehouses who all have their own implementations of SQL, even though it's supposed to be a standard, cool. it's really hard. And so it was really hard uh, to do that um, and just test it all. Because if you look at the testing matrix, it is enormous. And so, um, so that was the hardest thing I think I ever did. Um, and, you know, we're here eight years later. Um, I could tell you wow. that it probably took us five, six years to get it right. Uh, and, oh um, and it was a hard thing to do. And a lot of companies and a lot of other solutions out there took the easy way out. Um, but we're hardheads at, at scale. And, uh, and so we just didn't want to let it go. It's like we know we lived our own we, we you know we lived <laughs> we lived the problem of our customers we walked in their shoes 
And so we know what we wanted and we weren't willing to compromise on that with our architecture, even though it was exactly. hard to deliver. And so, um, so that, so I think that's, that's really, uh, that by far the hardest thing that I've ever done is, has been building a semantic layer, um, a la at scale. Wow. Fair enough. And you've given like five to six years just for the implementation, which is huge. And, uh, it came out way, right? So Dave, uh, thanks for sharing your experience there. Also for the folks who are joining us, uh, just a quick reminder that at scale, uh, is giving us swag. We already have 12 entries. I will be actually doing the raffle by end of the show. There'll be two winners. So feel free to put in hashtag at scale in the comments and we'll announce the winners. Uh, maybe we'll announce the first winner in sometime in the last winner by end of the show. Okay. Uh, all right. Moving more into the weeds. Um, uh, just wanted to learn more about uh, what, according to you, are the changes that AI will bring in 2022 and in the coming years, uh, Dave. Yeah, so artificial intelligence. Gosh, you know, um, AI and ML and machine learning is a lot like, uh, it feels a lot like analytics was in the beginning. Um, yeah. And and in, in, in that it's, um, it still is a, it, it is a discipline that requires a very high bar of technical knowledge. Uh, to be able to make work, and um, and and so you know, Tableau really sort of gets credit, I think, for democratizing um, analytics because they they brought a um, a very friendly user uh, end user oriented approach to being able to explore data, um, which meant a lot more people could do it without having to have all the skills um, that traditionally you had to, to have to to be able to get it, ask ask an answer of data, um, mm -hmm. ask a question of data. I think AI and ML is there now. Uh, and so you're starting to see these auto ML platforms right. uh, like Data Iku and Data Robot, um, where and then Amazon SageMaker, where they're starting to sort of automate and put an application around the process of building a model for data science so you can get a prediction and helping to automate and choose the best model for a particular use case. So you're starting to see that democratization. Um, but I think the real democratization of AI and ML is when you combine it with BI. So, um, you, yes, you can have a data scientist who's going to create some amazing um, prediction, um, and that amazing prediction could be deployed in, a, in an application or in an operation, or it could be delivered to a handful of business users who can use that prediction to make a business decision. To me, that's not scalable. Uh, you need to be able to embed uh, AI and ML in, in, into the tools that, that the whole business is using. And so what you're seeing is trends like um, you're seeing a trends where augmented intelligence is being added to tools like BI, uh, tools exactly. like uh, like Tableau and like uh, Power BI, where they're going to do things like outlier analysis. So when you're drilling around, they're going to say this looks different and they're going to zoom you in there. And, mm. I, and I like to I like to think of it as like, you know, it's finding the needle in the haystack. And when you think mm -hmm. about how people like use BI tools today, they ask question and question, question after question after question. And the reason why they right. have to ask so many questions because they don't, they haven't found what they're looking for. So if we can use machines to help help people find what they're looking for without having to ask so many questions, that's a big win. And mm. that's where I think AI and ML goes is that we start to embed those uh, those algorithms and that process um, into the tools that people use every day to make people smarter. Let the machines make people smarter. Um, right. and, it, and it doesn't mean just a data scientist. 
who is going to be delivering, you know, all that value for the business. It means, you know, BI, AI and AI and ML should be used by everyone in the organization, not just one group. Okay, that those are uh, amazing insights, Dave. Also, uh, since you were talking about BI as well, uh, I, I did see a question coming from Aditi there. How is that scale bridging the gap between AI and BI? Interesting. Yeah, that's a great one. So, um, uh, so the semantic layer turns out to be a, a, a an awesome place to bridge that gap. So you have the business teams and the business teams are using their BI tools and they're largely doing uh, what's called descriptive analysis. Descriptive analysis is more historical analysis. So what happened yesterday? And then, mm -hmm. and then, and then maybe what they'll do also is they'll also do uh, um, diagnostic analysis. So they'll take it a step further and say, okay, why did that happen yesterday? Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of the extent of it. And then you move over to the data science teams and they're, they're asking, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Um, and if what happens tomorrow, that's predictive analysis. They can then say, okay, if I know what's going to happen tomorrow, what should I do about it? And that's prescriptive analysis. So that's the sort of full range of analysis from descriptive to prescriptive. Now, today, each of those silos, those teams or silos, are doing that individual sort of levels of analysis. But I can tell you that the business user would like to be able to predict sales tomorrow and compare those to sales that happened in the past. And the data scientists right. would like to know if their model is drifting and to be able to compare their predictions to actual data. So they both need the same data. They, they both need the full spectrum to be better at their jobs. And the application developers need to bit, you know, build those into their applications so they can make data-driven applications. So the semantic layer is the place where you can, you can, you can collaborate on that. So if the data scientists can write their predictions and their features back to the semantic layer, it means that other data scientists can use those predictions and features to do their own analysis and build their own models. And the business users can use that analysis to better predict what's going to happen in the future to make better business decisions. So the semantic layer becomes that unifying thread that ties mm -hmm. together BI and AI. And so we're really excited about that. We released something we yeah. call AI, AI Link very recently, which allows our users to use Python um, and in a Jupyter notebook or in an auto ML platform to write those predictions and features back to our semantic layer so that it can be shared with the rest uh, of the of the data audience. Oh, this is great. Also, um, quick question here, Dave. If folks want to learn more about AdScale, which is the best place, do we have resources where people can learn more about it? I know for a fact that you conduct a lot of webinars, so would love to learn more about that for just for our audience. Yeah, if you go to AdScale.com um, and you go into resources, we have some great, um, we have a great set of resources. So um, I really, I really love our, our webinar series. It's a panel, it's their panel discussions with yeah. um, some really interesting people that have um, um, perspectives, some subject matter experts, people who are really doing it uh, to some of the, uh, the, 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 the leading vendors out there to Bill Inman, who's the father that hit a warehouse talking <laughs> about the next stage of data. So, um, so it's not a commercial. It's not a commercial for AdScale. Um, it's yeah. and it's really good if you want to learn about a subject, especially about the bridging of AI and BI is a common one. We've done a lot of things about the semantic layer. Uh, the other thing is case studies, um, and they're case studies with well-known names in the business, and um, 
geez, I, I mean, I learned, I learned so much from my, our customers and, uh, and just in talking to them, um, I've learned things like data as a product is something mm-hmm. that uh, Wayfair and Tyson Foods has talked a lot about. Um, and that's really opened my eyes about treating data just as, as, as on the same level as the, the products that they produce. And, and that's a really great concept. Uh, data for everyone is a, also a concept that I learned from our, our customers. Um, and that's really opened my eyes in terms of how I think about what our mission is at, at scale. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a great set of resources to hear from people much smarter than me um, about what they're doing and, 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 and what the future lies. Yes, fair enough. Uh, also, when you speak about data for everyone, what do you think, uh, since we have been obviously hearing a lot around data literacy and data literacy is also one of the most important topic that that people want to learn more about and people, everyone wants to be data literate. So what are your thoughts on data literacy, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I, I did a I did a panel discussion with Starbucks and wow. um, and Bull.com and um, and, a, and a couple others where we talked about data literacy and um, that's a really good one uh, because, and I, I learned a lot in, in that, in that discussion, um, you know, data literacy is, uh, uh, you know, we, a semantic layer is important, but um, knowing that it exists requires, mm. you know, requires some, some requires <laughs> a literacy, it requires marketing, honestly. And so part of the function of data literacy is an internal marketing campaign uh, to get people to understand the tools that are available to them. Um, so that they can actually be self-serve and and um, and use all the tools that the that the enterprise has created for them, because a lot right. of it is just about a knowledge gap to knowing that they exist. So that's a so part of data literacy is a marketing campaign to say use data and this is how you can use it. The other part that was is really interesting is is programs training programs, mm-hmm. um, and um, and uh, and so internal training programs that people can self can learn on their own. And take uh, and take courses, um, hmm. and then and then test in those courses to be able to chart their path along the uh, along the maturity spectrum when it comes to data literacy, and um, and some of the best organizations I work with have put in those programs in place, and they've made it so that it's part of how people get measured, um, in terms of how literate they are in in data, um, and that becomes part of you know how they're you know they're how how they're reviewed and 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 um, and how, and how they succeed in the organization, and I think those are those are really great programs that make everybody, um, you know, a better data-driven decision maker. Definitely, I agree. Also, Dave, uh, Dustin agrees to what you say. Your internal marketing campaigns around data is really important. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Okay. Uh, uh, moving back to something, uh, a question that I can see, and it's from Manisha. What, what, according to you, are the reasons for failing AI projects? Interesting. Yeah, um, it's like it's uh, it's funny. We have a we have a uh, we have a, a panel discussion coming out on this, wow. and that's one of the questions is is you know why do AI projects fail? And um, this goes back to our what we were talking about before, and some of the questions mm-hmm. from your audience was that if you don't involve a subject matter expert, um, you're you're bound to fail. Um, so the data scientist needs to uh, needs to be tightly coupled with the the subject matter expert because the subject matter expert is going to be able to uh, ensure that there's a return on that investment um, and that the things that 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 the data scientist is is predicting are are, are predicting are going to be something that the, the business can use. Uh, 
So um, I, I see, and and again, it's like it's 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 been in with, for the experts I talk to, when you don't have that, when you don't have that team, of of coupling the business with the data scientists, you are definitely bound to fail. Um, right. And the most success has been uh, when you, when you when you bring those teams together and you and you run it as a program uh, versus mm. uh, a science experiment. Yes, definitely this. This is great, uh, Dave. Thanks for sharing. Um, also, would love to obviously join your uh, webinar where there'll be a panel discussion around it, why AI projects fail. So would love to join there. Um, okay, uh, moving forward, I just wanted to learn more about uh, what would be some of the tips and tricks for organizations that are looking to migrate their analytics infrastructure to the cloud. What would be your thoughts there, Dave? Tips and tricks for uh, migrating their analytics infrastructure to the cloud. That's a that's a that's a great one. Um, uh, look, it's a um, I like the um, I, I like the approach of you know when when you think about your in, you know your internal data warehouses, you're loading those data warehouses from a set of files um, or from from some some source. And um, what what I've seen our customers do successfully. Is that rather than trying to re-architect the schemas and all those data flows um, for the cloud, that the initial first step is literally to point those pipelines um, to the cloud and to that cloud data warehouse with as little change as possible, so that you have actually parallel loads. Your old mm -hmm. infrastructure is being loaded at the same time your new infrastructure is being loaded. And by doing that, you can then obviously do comparisons and do reconciliation and make sure that things in this new platform are working correctly and that you haven't missed anything. And you can also understand what that profile is from a performance and from a cost profile so that there's no big uh, ahas uh, when you move to production, you get that first cloud bill and you're like, what? You know, I didn't know it was gonna cost this much. And so, um, so, so that's been an approach I've seen customers use. Literally just don't change anything just, just uh, parallel load, you know, uh, double load the data into your new data platforms, um, and then start to do some experimentation uh, first on that in, that new infrastructure, and then right. choose uh, again, same same as before, choose a use case where there's a whole lot of pain today, um, and 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 migrate that use case first, so you can deliver some value and show value um, in that investment right away. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, okay, there's uh, another question coming in from Bana Ramtak. Uh, interesting. Who's using more semantics layer, a data analyst or a data scientist? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I, I would say today, for sure, a data analyst. Um, and uh, mm. because semantic layers really are very um, are, are very new, just new to everyone, first of all. But exactly. a semantic layer has always embedded in BI tools has been a very familiar concept. And so uh, the business analysts and the data analysts has been, you know, understands a semantic layer because they've been using one, you know, that's been wedded to their visualization tool for years. Um, so when you separate that out, they get it. The data scientist has always gone to the raw data and, um, and have always been sort of roll up the sleeves and, uh, and do data engineering, the nasty data engineering on their own um, with open source tools like Spark and the like. So it's been a very, very high bar for the data scientists because they need to really understand not just data, but also how to get it all operating and performant so they can build and train their models. It's a really high bar. 
So I think that the data scientist of the future is going to be a citizen data scientist. It's going to be a blend of that data analyst. Um, mm -hmm. And the tools are going to allow that data analyst to be able to, to, to predict the future and create new features um, because the tools are going to help them to do that. So I'm saying that today the semantic layer is being consumed by the data analyst, but in the very near future, you're going to see the data scientist and the citizen data scientist become uh, just as active a participant in taking advantage of a semantic layer. Is it also the folks who love low code, no code would be able to use it, Dave? Yeah, um, you know, it's like, the, it's, uh, it's, and I think that, look, uh, I think that any good platform needs to be able to have both interfaces. Exactly. Um, because, you know, if you just do a no code, low code, and so it's an application to, to basically, you know, define that semantic layer or, or define your, 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 your model, your AI model, um, you know, sometimes a developer, it's more efficient for a developer who can write code and check it into GitHub. Um, and that's, that's, that might be a more efficient way of doing it. Yeah. So it's a combination of both. So I never like to say, go full, no, go, go no code or low code. Um, I think you need to do both. I think you need both. to have a programmable interface so that your application developers who are comfortable writing code can do it without an interface. I think you need to have an application interface for those who don't want to write code and who rather mm -hmm. do and build things visually. Um, uh, so I think you need both. Yeah, makes sense. It gives you obviously an individual to play on a larger ground where you have, you know, both the opportunities there. So yeah, makes sense. Uh, okay, let's take a quick question from Mike Nash here. What is your thoughts, predictions for the data landscape in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, so in data 2020, so I think that what we're going to see here is um, uh, we're, de we're definitely going to see the continuing the, the acceleration of the migration to the cloud. Um, so, um, you know, companies that aren't there yet um, are going to be uh, migrating in mass. So you're going to see the cloud data warehouses like Snowflake, uh, Databricks, uh, Google BigQuery continue to be um, uh, become more popular and to and to uh, and to to be more ubiquitous. I think you're going to see the blending of AI and BI. Um, and I think that that's really the future of, of, of AI and ML, is I think you're going to see that blend and those two disciplines mm. blend into one. I think you're going to start to see more of that, and you're going to see more of that in products um, coming out in 2022. The other thing I think I, you're going to see is you're going to see, um, you, it's already started, but the war between Databricks and Snowflake, uh, which <laughs> I think you should watch. Uh, you know, Databricks comes at it from the data science angle, and they're moving into into uh, into the analytics space and the business mm -hmm. analytics space. And then Snowflake began the business analytics space and is now moving into the um, AI and ML space. And oh, wow. they're they're already sort of um, they're already clashing. Um, and if you saw anything recent with the, their TPCDS benchmarks that they ran, I feel a little bit guilty about this because we were the first to run those TPCDS benchmarks. Um, and now they're running them on on their own, and they're clashing over them. Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting read. So um, mm. so I would look at those two. I would look at those two those two um, uh, uh, really important industry players, Databricks and Snowflake, because uh, I think you're going to see them um, be, be a lot more noisier in 2022, and really wow. fighting fighting for the hearts and minds of the enterprise. No, these are fantastic insights. Thanks for sharing, Dave. Okay, quick question, since you were mentioning a little about the blend of AI and BI, so what? how would you explain the convergence of uh, AI and BI? I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
yeah, the, the, you know, I think that on two fronts, um, when it comes to um, um, building models and making predictions, I think that the auto uh, the auto ML platforms are are making it easier uh, for a um, uh, for the non PhDs and the non-data engineers to actually use AI and ML tools to, 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 to produce value. Um, so I think there you're seeing that's from a persona perspective. So I think you're seeing more of the business analysts being able to become and do, and do data science work and machine learning work. Um, and I think that's where the term citizen data scientist comes. So mm -hmm. from the personnel perspective, that's, I see that kind of convergence happening from a people perspective. From a tool perspective, um, I see more auto ML platforms um, like, um, you know, Data Robot and Data IQ and uh, SageMaker. Um, and uh, I think those will become easier to use on the tooling front. Um, and, I, uh, and I expect to see the, um, the techniques uh, with outlier analysis um, and, and, and the like to be embedded in BI tools like a Tableau and a Power BI so that people who are using those tools are using and doing ML and machine using and leveraging ML um, without even being aware of it. Um, so uh, I think that then the tooling perspective on the BI tool front, you're gonna see that merging of AI and BI there. Fair enough. Thanks for that uh, information, Dave. Uh, and Mike uh, really says a really exciting 2022 and beyond. Thanks for answering. Thanks, Mike, for that question. It uh, really got us some great insights. So, all right, before I get into a very interesting question from uh, Ravina Oswal, obviously, I just want to remind folks, uh, we have 2021 entries already. You can actually mention hashtag at scale and you have a chance to win some swag. Uh, so, Let's move into this question. This question is very interesting, actually. Will AI replace human ever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I don't know. I, I have a, uh, I have a layman's p p p uh, opinion on that. And like yeah. self-driving cars, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe it um, because exactly. until every car is a self-driving car, as long as you have humans in the mix. Um, you can't predict human behavior, uh, and it's just it's a, that's that's what makes us so so um, amazing, is that we're we're, we're unpredictable, uh, and so uh, no, I don't ever think AI will replace humans, and I and I think that um, you know just like anything else, AI and ML are tools uh, to make us smarter um, mm -hmm. and to automate away a lot of the the drudgery that we have to do, um, and I, I made, mentioned this before. It's ridiculous that people have to ask so many questions of through their BI tools to find something that's that that is meaningful um, to them. And um, if AI and ML can simply um, allow us to ask better questions or even fewer questions to get to our answer, that's a big in improvement. Um, but uh, you know, I don't. You know, definitely not in our lifetime. Uh, <laughs> definitely not gonna not gonna happen. Um, and and I'm I'm interested to see what's going to help what's what's happening with self-driving cars because um, again it's like um, I'm not going to be one of those people who uh, you know who flips it on and gets in the back seat and reads a book uh, I, I I just don't I just don't trust it um, for yeah. as long as there's humans on the road <laughs> yeah that's so true uh, thanks for sharing that uh, nice question uh, Ravina okay uh, it's time uh, we already have the 
comments in. We have 23 folks who have participated for the raffle. Let's get the ball rolling. All the best, guys. Thank you for participating. Let's see who the winner is. All right. Our first winner is Rakesh Kumar. Rakesh Kumar, thank you very much and congratulations. You, uh, I will reach out to you for your address and you win a swag. And let's go for a second winner. Let's see who it is. We're giving two opportunities. Uh, AdScale has been kind. So let's see who our second winner is. It is Dustin. Dustin, congratulations. Uh, and thanks for asking amazing questions, Dustin, and sharing your insights. Okay. Dave, uh, want to know more about, uh, obviously, AdScale. What, what is next for AdScale? What's uh, coming up? 2022 is just nearby. So what's coming up for AdScale? Yeah, we have some um, some 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 exciting things that we're working on. Um, you know, data data is is everywhere uh, in the cloud. And then when we think about data in the cloud, we're thinking about putting the data that we collect ourselves and we put and store in the cloud, like in a Snowflake or Databricks, for example. Um, but the data there, there's data hidden away in every SaaS application we use. Uh, you know, when it comes to Salesforce. Uh, you know, that's that's sitting on Salesforce servers. Um, when you think about uh, your Jira's, um, that's sitting in, you know, on Jira servers. When you think about um, your accounting systems, they're all in the cloud now. Um, right. So uh, so there's so much data hidden away in SaaS applications. And what you're going to see with that scale is that we're going to extend our reach, not just in data, data platforms uh, for first party data, but also including um, SaaS applications and third-party data so that uh, users can be much more powerful because they'll have much more data available at their fingertips, again, without any data movement, um, all done virtually in the semantic layer. So we're gonna extend that semantic layer to uh, a much broader range of data in 2022. Wow, super exciting time coming up. Uh, can't wait for the 2.0 version where I, where I can actually interview on the developments that have happened at, at scale. So thank, thank thank you very much, Dave. This this was actually very insightful. I'm sure the audience loved it. Just one last question before we wrap this up is if folks need to reach out to you uh, and have questions around semantic layer, around BI, AI, which is the best place? Um, you know what? It's uh, it's very easy. I'm David at scale.com. So, um, wow. uh, so, so that's, that's a, that's one of the benefits of being the founder is that I get to pick my own uh, email address. So if you have any, have any questions, David at scale.com. I, I always love to talk to talk to other people, smart people, or, and I, and I learn something every time I do. So um, thanks to everybody for listening. Me um, drone on and, and rivet. So thank, thanks so much for, for hosting and, and creating a really great discussion here. Always a pleasure, Dave, and thanks for sharing those insights. Thank you, everyone, for participating, and see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.